you very much. Great to be here. Really is uh, so nice to see so many uh, welcoming f friends and faces, people that we we know from uh, when I was a student even here a while back, and uh, then others who I don't know who've obviously joined recently, which is great. Um, we've had such a warm welcome. We had a lovely time um, yesterday, uh, last night at Dave and Rubina's, uh, their kind hospitality. Um, am I allowed to mention? Yes, we had the, we enjoyed the hot tub uh, and uh, <laughs> bottle of bubbly. And so I'm feeling super chill this this morning. I have to be. I, I, in fact, if I fall asleep at any point, it's just because I'm feeling really relaxed after the hot. In fact, Simon Beale and I were joking that I think I'm just going to read the passage out, and then I'm going to get you to just turn into small groups and discuss. Uh, I'll, and I'll be on my way. I'll go and have a rest. So, but no, let's let's. Go for Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. So it says that as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nation, and kingdoms against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the fields go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because these will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. False Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. 
But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that hour or day, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You don't know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So Lord, we thank you for these words, and we pray now that you would cause them to come alive in our hearts, that you would speak to our minds, and that you would change our lives. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, quite a chunk of scripture that we've just read there. Um, Sometimes this chapter is known as the mini-apocalypse. So there are other passages in the Bible, such as the last few chapters of Matthew, large chunks of 2 Thessalonians, of course Revelation itself, that are apocalyptic. But here Mark, as he would tend to in his style, kind of gets to the point and condenses the teaching and and we have this mini-apocalypse, this teaching about the end times. Apocalypse is kind of uber-cool these days, isn't it? There's loads of apocalyptic films and post-apocalyptic films around, Maze Runner and Oblivion and Divergent and uh, I Am Legend and... Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I don't know about that one, but Nicolas Cage is even in Left Behind, isn't he? So there's a lot of interest about these subjects, but what does the Bible have to say about the end times? Because we live, the Bible's um, description is that we live in the end times. In other words, we live between the passion of Christ when he died and rose again and ascended and the parousia of Christ, that is the return of Christ. We live between passion and parousia. All the events in Jesus' saving career have taken place. His incarnation, his righteous life, his substitutionary death for our sins, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. There is one more major event in world history that's still to come to do with Jesus, and it is his return. So we live in that period of time between the Passion and Perusia. What can we expect to happen during this time? Now, obviously, there's a lot in this chapter. There's no way that I can deal with every detail, but hopefully we can have some broad brushstrokes and uh, we can hear God in it. So, a couple of observations about this passage first. The first one is that as we read this passage... Jesus and Mark and God want us to have a sense of expectation, but not speculation. 
Mark wants us to come out of this chapter with faith-filled expectation about the return of Christ, not fearful speculation about the return of Christ. He wants us to be living in watchful anticipation that Jesus will return, but not endless speculation about when and how and where he will return. I don't know about you, but I've seen the charts. I've seen the complicated diagrams setting out the schemes of exactly how and when world events will take place and dates and so on. But that's not what this is all about. There are lots of people through church history have fallen into this trap of over-speculating. For example, there was a guy in uh, 1988 called Edgar Weisland. Weisland. And uh, he was a respected scientist, a former rocket scientist in America. And he came out with a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Take Place on September the 12th, 1988. Snappy title. And uh, he predicted that it was going to happen on that day. The book sold very well in the States, surprisingly. Families took their children out of school for the day, all waiting for the moment. And of course, it didn't happen. And, um, and then the next year, he brought out a, an ep- a second book explaining why he got the date wrong, but that actually he was, it was going to happen on September the 1st, 1989. And if it didn't happen then, it would be on a date in 1990, and if that didn't work then, he was sure it was a date in 1991. And failing that, 1992, or at the very latest, between the 15th and the 17th of September 1993. He was covering all his bases, wasn't he? And as you may have noticed, the date has uh, long passed. But the disciples uh, here, they are speaking to Jesus in verse uh, 4 to 8, and they're curious. They say to Jesus, Jesus, you just told us that the temple is going to be demolished. When? Tell us. How how is this all going to Give us some dates. This is interesting. And of course, Jesus warns them and says, no, there's lots of things going to happen in world history. But don't jump to conclusions. Don't be alarmed. These things will happen. That doesn't necessarily mean that this is now the end of the world. And he uses the phrase birth pains. He says that these are just the beginning of birth pains. Paul the Apostle picks up on that same concept of labour pains in uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 22. In Romans 8, 22... And uh, he there, Paul says that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Because creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. So the whole of creation is in a place of frustration waiting for the time when we will have our bodies redeemed. And when God will make all things new and when there will be a new creation. And Paul says that it is like Uh, that we groan inwardly. And he says in verse 22, we know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that Jesus and Paul were very brave to use the analogy of labour pains. Because whenever I start talking about labour pains, Kate looks at me with that withering look like, you haven't got a clue what you're talking about. 
I mean, I don't know if any of you have seen any of this. There's a YouTube, there's a video that Kate has shown me um, about these two guys who um, are kind of saying, oh, it can't be that bad, you know, whatever, it's all right, it's not that bad. And then they go into a laboratory and they have these anodes attached to, uh, to their uh, abdomens and so on. And, they, and they, uh, the idea is that it's going to simulate something of what it might feel like to be in, uh, having con- uh, contractions and having labour pains. And these, uh, these guys uh, kind of start out pretty chilled and pretty cool and pretty dismissive. But before you know it, they are screaming in agony. And uh, they kind of say, stop, no way, no way, no way. And uh, at the end, they're just sort of um, saying, okay, respect, respect. <laughs> mum, mum, you were amazing. Uh, we take it all back. Um, I mean, they, they, you know, they perhaps decided to scream while they're in there, well, I hate you, I wish I'd never known you or anything. No, they didn't, they didn't do that, but... Um, <laughs> no pain, no gain, that's my motto. Um, right, okay. <laughs> We've got a car, uh, which means we're going south this afternoon. You live in the north, we live in the south. I can get, say these things and escape quickly at the end before uh, the women lynch me. But here we have it. G- uh, Paul and Jesus do talk about how creation is in a state of um, labour pains, as it were, waiting for uh, the consummation of all things. And it is like that. Life is a bit like that sometimes, isn't it? Don't you find that you go through life and there are times when it feels okay? Yeah. It's all right, actually. I can, I can handle this. I can cope with this. It's not bad. And then suddenly, ouch! Something happens, and it hurts. Do you ever find that life hurts? And uh, is this ever going to end? It just feels like it's the end of the world. And actually, it is going to end. And yeah, yeah actually, we, do, we get through it. And then you go through another period in your life, you think, yeah, this is all right. I can do this. It's quite nice, actually. Not bad. Ouch, suddenly, life hurts again. And you go through it again and think, oh God, am I ever going to get through this? Actually, you are. But for us as Christians, we can take comfort that whenever we go through frustration, disappointment, discouragement, whenever we go through times of difficulty and setback, when we feel sometimes like it's one step forward and two steps backwards, let's not forget when we go through these times that actually it's one step further towards new creation when God is going to fix all things, when actually the glory that is going to come is will far outweigh the present sufferings that we experience, that these light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. And so Jesus, in our passage in Mark chapter 13, says in verse 32 that even the Son of Man didn't know when the end would come. And so there's no point us speculating if even he didn't. He tells us an interesting parable at the end of chapter 13 where he talks about a, a master going away from his home and leaving the house in charge of his servants and putting a doorkeeper on the house. Commentators have suggested that the doorkeeper is perhaps the church leaders who are responsible for God's house watching over God's house, keeping guard on those who come in and those who go out, being good stewards of the house and watching over the house before until the master returns. 
and they're to be watchful. But then, in verse 37, Jesus says, But I say to all of you, watch. And that word watch, in the Greek, is Gregorite. And that's where we get the Christian name Gregory from. So if we have any Gregories here, your name means wakeful, watchful. That's a good name, isn't it? And we're told, all of us, be awake. We live in significant times. Don't miss it. But don't be thrown by what happens. As we read Mark 13, it would be easy to be filled with dread, wouldn't it? We read of wars and persecution and families turning and the moon and the sun being darkened. The abomination that causes desolation. What's all that about? And as we read it, we could be filled with a sense of dread. But actually, Jesus is forewarning us so that we can be forearmed, so that we can be watchful and wakeful, so that we're not sleepwalking, daydreaming, living just for the here and now, oblivious to where it's all heading. When I was a lad, um, I grew up in South Africa in my early days, and we had a boat in Durban Harbour. And on New Year's Eve, every year, the ships and boats would let off their out-of-date flares, and uh, the harbour would light up. And I can remember the palpable sense of disappointment one day when I woke up in the morning, and I had slept through the fireworks. My parents didn't wake me up. I can't believe, I still can't forgive them that they didn't wake me up. And I missed the fireworks. I slept through it all. Folks, don't sleep through the fireworks. We live in interesting times, we live in significant times, and God wants us to be spiritually alert to what is going on, but at the same time, aware that he is sovereign, that he's on the throne, that he's working it through, and that we don't need to panic. Unbelievers can make all sorts of predictions about the future of mankind, of our planet, of the universe, what's going to happen, but in the end, they don't know. The great news is that we do. We can be certain that it's heading towards a conclusion that God has ordained from eternity. It does raise a bit of a question for us. We might ask ourselves, should we embark on long-term projects? Is there any point, if Jesus is going to come back, is there any point in us, for example, starting some building projects or um, maybe studying for a degree or doing a PhD I mean, what's the point? Can you imagine how you would feel if you did all that work, you were working so hard, and then just as you were about to publish your PhD, Jesus returns. Wouldn't you be gutted, wasted? What was the point of that? It never changed anything, it never affected the world, or some project that you're on, what's the point of investing? But actually... The reality is that we should invest in these things. Jesus told the parable of the talents in the context of his return, saying that we're to invest what we've got because God is looking for us to be faithful with what we have. And it's not about the fruit that we produce. We can trust God with the fruit. It's about us being faithful with what God has given us to do. And doing it in such a way that it, it shows to other people something of the kingdom that's to come and how the, those values are now already breaking in to this world here and now in the way that we go about the work that we're called to do. And so we're to be faithful and not worry about the results because God can take care of those. You might be 
thinking, what am I doing on this beach in winter? What's the point? What's the point of me doing this right now? Well, you're being faithful. You're doing what God wants you to do. That's what matters. Well done, good and faithful servants. But at the same time, we have an eye to the fact that there is an end point as well. The second thing I wanted to just comment quickly about this passage that will help us as we understand it is that God wants us to read this in a way that is telescopic, not forensic or not sort of chronological. And I know you've been well taught and you understand this already, so I won't spend long on it at all. But as we read prophecy in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, there is a sense in which it is a foreshortening of events. It's, it's like a two-dimensional picture. And the, the prophets weren't worried so much about the chronology of when things were going to happen. They saw things in two dimensions. If you were to close one of your eyes, um, and uh, I don't know if you can do it, I can't actually do... I can close one without... But I can't close the other one without sort of actually blocking it. But if you were to close one eye, you would look at things and they become kind of two-dimensional, don't they? Things that are far away look closer and things that are closer look kind of at the same distance. Things suddenly kind of look as if they're all merged into one. And as Jesus is prophesying about the future, he's prophesying so that there are short-term conclusions and short-term fulfilments of these words, but there are immediate uh, fulfilments, there's mid-term fulfilments, and there's long-term fulfilments as well. So there's a telescopic kind of effect as he's speaking. It's not a timeline. But let's have a look at four bad things that we read about that are going to happen during this time. And then four good things. And uh, we'll do it that way round rather than the other. Otherwise we'll all end up very depressed at the end. So the bad stuff. And actually it's not really bad because God is on the throne anyway. But Jesus says that first of all, there will be outward signs of religion during this time. In verses 1 to 2, the disciples are very impressed with this magnificent building in Jerusalem, this temple with massive stones, very impressive. And in fact, in chapter 12 as well, as we read before, we see how people are fixated with the outward signs of religion, with flowing robes, with the synagogues, with the places of honour, with impressive outward shows of religion. And what we find that Jesus says, he's pretty dismissive of those things. He says, don't get too excited about all of that. That's not the future of the church. People were fixated with the outward show. Whereas actually, Jesus, as he spoke to the widow who just gave that more than she had. And Jesus says, God is more interested in the heart. And he's gathering a people Not to an institution, not to a building, but to himself. And that's the future of the church. But there will be plenty of religion during the end times. Second thing that we see Jesus predicts is that there will be false teaching. In verse 5, he talks about watching out for those who claim things. That are not true. And again in verse 21, he warns about false Christs and false prophets. Folks, not everything that we hear in the name of God 
is necessarily biblical truth. Just because it's supposedly Christian doesn't necessarily make it right, even when it's presented in a convincing way. There can be teaching sometimes that is just plain wrong, or that it's okay but the emphasis is wrong. People can major on the minors and minor on the majors. Just recently at the Vine Church in Odium, where we come from, one of our elders who uh, we've uh, known and loved and worked with for many, many years, uh, got, had cancer and uh, was very ill and uh, then just died uh, a few weeks ago. And in that time, as we were uh, praying for Brian and asking God to heal him, one of the members of our church, is a, a slightly super spiritual couple, um, phoned me and said, you know, really think it would be helpful if you could watch this particular teacher on God TV. Um, and uh, so I said, oh, thanks for that. So I sat down and watched this teacher on God TV on the internet. And he started to teach about how it's a heresy to talk about the sovereignty of God and how that uh, we should uh, always resist healing and if uh, resist illness. And if someone doesn't get healed, then uh, that, that is a sign of our lack of faith. And I was just getting to the point. I wanted to punch a hole in the laptop as I heard this, listened to this teaching and thought, this is just so unhelpful. And, and it kind of sounds Christian, but actually it's taking verses out of context. And it's not leading to faith. It's leading us to a point of being tied up in kind of knots, leaving us condemned in legalism rather than coming to a place of faith because we're really hearing God's word properly in context. So we need to be like the Bereans who had noble character, who examined God's word every day, who listened to what they heard, even from impressive teachers like Paul, but then said, is that what it says here? Okay, then we're going to do it. But there will be false teaching. The third thing that we find during this time is that there will be world turmoil. Verses 7 to 8 talk about earthquakes and wars and all the rest. And actually today that's happening, isn't it? I get to the point where I don't want to turn the telly on with my, uh, or the uh, radio on when we're in the car with my children. Because it's just always such depressing news, isn't it? And sometimes you think, I don't want my kids to hear this. It's just horrible. So we know that these things are happening today. In verse 14... Jesus predicts that there will be something called the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong. Let the reader understand. I always think that's quite amusing. Well, thanks. I don't really, you know, thanks, Jesus. But, um, of course, what he's doing is he's referring back to a prophecy that Daniel gave in chapter 9 of Daniel. In Daniel 9, verse 27, uh, Daniel prophesies that there would be in the end times, in cataclysmic times in world history, there would be a ruler who would destroy the city and the sanctuary. And in the temple, he would set up an abomination. Something abhorrent to God's people would be set up in the temple that would be a cause of desolation. And that prophecy was fulfilled in uh, 200 BC when um, a, a Seleucid ruler called Antiochus IV who styled himself as Epiphanes, meaning God manifest. He had a bit of a big ego. And uh, he, uh, Christians called him Epimenes, which meant mad one. 
Um, but um, sorry, not Christians. The Jews called him Epimenes. But Antiochus Epiphanes sacked the temple in Jerusalem, enforced the worship of the Greek god Zeus, and set up a pig on the altar there in the sanctuary in Jerusalem. The abomination that causes desolation. That was fulfilled then. But now Jesus is repeating that it's going to happen again. And of course it did happen in AD 70 when Jerusalem was, a, was sacked again. Within the generation that Jesus spoke these words, the Romans came, they sieged Jerusalem, they paraded their gods, Caesar as gods, with their Roman eagle as a standard over the site in Jerusalem there, and it happened as Jesus had predicted. But actually, because Jesus had spoken about these things, history tells us that the Christians were ready And many of them fled to the Transjordan. And uh, because of that, the church in Jerusalem survived because it moved uh, out and escaped because it was aware that Jesus had said this was going to happen. And interestingly also, that uh, siege of Jerusalem was cut short because the Romans were distracted by events back in Rome. And so they kind of withdrew prematurely from Jerusalem and therefore, in fact, the, the persecution, that time, that terrible time was cut short. So again, as Jesus predicted. So there is a sense in which these things did, were fulfilled in that generation, as Jesus said they would be. But remember the telescopic thing we were saying. Jesus is also saying there's going to be more of this kind of thing in the future. There will be political turmoil, natural disasters, wars and rumours of wars. Don't be phased. Don't panic. But let them continually remind you, folks, whenever we turn on the telly and hear the dreadful news, this world needs fixing. But God is going to fix it. It ain't right, but it'll be all right. The fourth thing that we see is that there will be persecution. Jesus says that you will experience persecution. In synagogues even, it says, which I hope is uh, not uh, literally going to happen here in this building. But it's of course, is happening around the world, isn't it? Christians are being persecuted. The independent newspaper published an article last year asking the question, who are the most persecuted people in the world? And the answer was Christians. 80% of all acts of religious discrimination in the world today are directed at Christians. The former chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, told the House of Lords recently that the suffering of Christians in the Middle East is one of the crimes of humanity against our time. And he asked why we're not appalled and why there is such a lack of protest at what is happening today around the world in the persecution of Christians. We get very upset about the bombardment of Gaza or what's happening in Ukraine, quite rightly so. But there's also a lot happening against God's church. So that's the bad stuff. Before we get too depressed, I just want to draw things to a conclusion to look at the good things that Jesus says are going to happen during this time. And the first is this. Jesus talks about the elect. We are God's elect. He uses that phrase three times in this passage. He talks in verse 22 about the elect and how they 
if they're deceived. He says, but that's not possible. The, the elect are not going to be deceived. We're gods. We are secure. Whatever is happening in your life, whatever personal turmoil you're experiencing, whatever turmoil there is in the world today and uncertainty there is, we can be confident of this. God is with us and he will never leave us or forsake us. We are the elect, we're called, we're chosen, we're his, we're secure in him. And we can stand strong. Jesus spoke in John chapter 10 about how he was the good shepherd. Here's your good shepherd. And he knows his sheep. He knows you. He knows your needs. He's called you by name. He cares for his sheep. He leads his sheep. He protects his sheep. He makes them secure. He makes them lie down in green pastures. He is the shepherd who is with us, as we heard prophesied earlier on. Amen? And so we can be strong, we can be confident, because secondly, we have the Holy Spirit. In verse 11, Jesus says, Whatever, whenever you're arrested, don't worry about what you're going to say, because you have the Holy Spirit who will give you the words. God is with us in a very present, real, imminent way in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And it's not by might, it's not by power, but it is by my Holy Spirit, says the Lord. In the end, it's his mission. It's not all down to us. We don't have to carry the burden of making it all happen. He's making it happen. And we're his co-laborers. He's doing it in his way, in his time. Yes, through his people. But it's him. And he will carry through to completion what he has begun. The third thing that can encourage us in this passage is that we're not merely going to survive. We're going to thrive. The church is going to thrive. Not only is God's church bulletproof, but we can be bullish about the future of his church. Verse 10, Jesus says that the gospel will be preached to all the nations. I think in Matthew 24 it says that this gospel will be preached as a testimony in every nation and then the end will come. How's the gospel going to be preached in every nation? It is through churches being planted, thriving and established and being a witness and a testimony to their ethnic group. And that's going to be replicated all around the world and in every suburb and every city around the world. And then the end will come. And so the church is set to grow. This is a good place to be, isn't it? The church is set to be the chief mountain to which the nations will stream as they are pulled in a magnetic way uphill to the mountain of God. The church will be the head and not the tail. The church will be the mustard seed that will grow into the largest bush in the garden and the birds of the air will come and take refuge on their branches. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And all around the world, we see that happening. The Economist 
reported in November 2014. Back in 1949 in China, there were one million Protestant Christians. Today, there are probably more Christians in China than there are members of the 87 million strong Communist Party in China. And if growth continues as it is at the moment, a 10% a year, there'll be 250 million Christians by 2030. It's like the growth just before Constantine was converted back in the 4th century and the empire became Christian. God is at work in his world today. And it's not just in China, it's in Sheffield as well, isn't it? We can be bullish about the future of this church. God is building City Church Sheffield. This is a great place to be and the best is yet to come. You will spread out to the left and to the right. You will enlarge to the north and the south and the east and the west. Stretch out your tent pegs, City Church Sheffield. To the left and the right because God is bringing you enlargement. I speak to you influence and infiltration and multiplication and enlargement. As we were worshipping, I had a word, uh, just felt God give me a picture. You know those, um, those pictures from satellite pictures of, the, of tributaries? Have you ever seen those where you've got a, a sort of, um, uh, like, like the Egyptian tributaries, where you've got all these, these rivers coming in, or, or sort of Dubai, you know, and you've got all these rivers coming in, and then you've got a large harbour, a large basin, uh, to which the water all flows into. And I had a picture of you as a church being like that. That you have tributaries that are coming from different directions and flowing into a large body of water, which is City Church Sheffield. But it's an integrated model where the tributaries are very important part because they provide the resources and supply and they spread. There's a larger spread and there's a larger catchment because you have these tributaries. And they then flow into this main body of water. And I see you as a church like that. And I see this harbour. And I see this harbour with ships in it. It's an international harbour. And I see ships going in and out from here to international places and to other places. I see ships travelling in and out from around the world into this harbour here into this place of refuge, to be resourced and then sent out again. And I see strong links with other places across the seas. But don't despise the tributaries, because they're part of the picture. They supply the harbour. So God is building his church. We're allowed to be excited about it. Amen? It's great. And I speak enlargement over you, and I speak multiplication. I see it, and God is doing it. And finally, we can be confident of this, that Jesus will return in glory. Verse 26 to 27 says that that he will gather people uh, from the four winds. The elect will be gathered and Jesus will return. The Son of Man will return in great power and glory. We believe in the sudden, personal, visible, bodily return of Jesus.
And I'm not going to read all those passages, but you can take notes if you want to. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangel's call and the sound of the trumpet of God. When he appears, 1 John 3, we should be like him. We'll see him as he is. Titus 2. Live sober, upright, godly lives in this world, awaiting our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That is the dominant hope of the New Testament, and it's our dominant hope and confidence that he will return and he will make all things new, and there will be new creation. So be watchful, be alert, be awake to the opportunities that are before you at this time. A couple of weeks ago, we went, I took my son to a party, paintballing party. Has anyone been paintballing? Okay, I had never been paintballing before. I dropped my son off for a day of paintballing in a forest near Guildford. And as I was about to leave, the dad who was in charge of the party said to me, We've got a space because one of the kids has dropped out. Are you free? Would you like to stay and join in? So, quick couple of phone calls home, checking out for the day. Sorry, Kate. Um, and uh, so there I, I'm going to be a big boy, a boy for the day with my son, Zachary. And so we have a day in the forest as a team with the lads against other teams. It was great fun. And it was painful as well. If you've ever been paintballing, I was shocked. I mean, there we were, you know, you go out and uh, you're, you're, suddenly you get stung on the leg. I've still got a couple of bruises. It's, it was painful. And uh, when you get hit, I tell you, you kind of wake up. You, you're alert. You don't want to have that again. You're totally alert. You're watching all over the place. And what you discover is that you want to have someone with you to watch your back. You don't want to be on your own. And uh, then also, it was quite cool because we realised the guy who was, uh, the dad who was with us, was actually 20 years military strategist. <laughs> so this is cool. I mean, we're going to blast these other teams to smithereens because here we have this Irish guy who looked a bit like General Schwarzkopf or something, you know. And he was behind us barking instructions to us. I mean, there was this one time where we had to get this president into a double-decker bus without him being assassinated by the other team. And, I, and so I'm kind of, me and my son are in a pair watching each other. And, uh, and then we've got this Irish guy behind us saying, Annie, run 200 yards that way, you know, giving us instructions, telling us where to go, telling us what to do. He's got a plan. He's worked out a strategy. He's worked out how we're going to win this battle. And uh, we've got someone who knows what he's doing. And so we, we, and we win, of course. We totally thrashed all the teams. It was just fantastic. <laughs> Definitely recommend it. Um, but we're in a battle as Christians, and we need to watch one another's backs. We need to be alert. Keep watching. Don't fall asleep. Stay on your guard at all times. Help each other. And we've got a commanding officer who knows what he's doing, who's won the battle already, who's got a strategy, who's got a plan, who's got an end game, and who is going to win the victory, and his glory is going to be seen in all the earth, and he will return, and his church will be glorious. 
And so we're on the winning side. And so watch, be alert, be awake, be ready. Take the opportunities because God is taking you into new things together as his people. And so let's be those people ready and watching and waiting for his return. Let's pray.